and welcome to the 90th episode of Lake of Rage Pokemon Trading Card Game Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, aka Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by three very special temporary guest hosts. We have Orlando Regionals coming up, and so we're going to have a Orlando Regional meta discussion. Joining us for the second time, we have Luke Morsa, aka Celio's Network. Luke, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, my name is Luke. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Celio's Network. I've been playing the card game casually since base set. My first sanctioned event was 2007. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to play at regionals in Orlando this uh, next weekend. Also joining us for the, I think, third time now, we have Israel Sosa. Israel, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, my name is Israel. This is also my second time I've been on the podcast. Uh, and I've been playing since uh, I started in December 09 in the cities when Stormfront first came out. Uh, casually played until like 2013, and that's kind of when I took it serious. And then been on and off since 2018. And uh, recently got top 32 at San Diego. So hopefully I can keep the trend going and do better in each event. So. And joining us for the first time, we have Darren O'Mara. Darren, why don't you tell the people a little about yourself? Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Darren. Uh, I run a very inconsistent Twitch channel over <laughs> at Shred TV with the three instead of the E. Um, I've been playing the game since about 2009, uh, on and off from there. And then also I got top eight at San Diego recently, as well as uh, I've gotten gotten the quarterly stipend once to go to the OCIC and I also got top eight at the Nashville Open way back in 2018 or something like that. Orlando's going to be a completely different beast with the attendance numbers though so hoping to continue at least something something there. So as you can tell we have invited three very qualified individuals. I will not be going to Orlando Regionals because it is a six hour flight and a three hour time difference and that is miserable as the fellow West Coaster uh, Sosa is also nodding his head. Yes, I have no idea why you're going, but that's your problem, not mine. So these three are going to talk about some of the meta predictions, some of the testing, things like that as we go through. So we're going to talk a little bit about, and Darren alluded to this, it is looking like a 1600 master regional, which is ridiculous. Day two might actually be larger than the only Australian regional this year, which is also kind of crazy to think about. So we're going to talk about if you're going to approach this any differently than you would I'm going to say a smaller regional, and it's ridiculous to think about a thousand-person regional is significantly smaller than this one. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Mew, Lugia, Lost Box, and everything else, because, I mean, that's where the meta is right now. So, Darren, because you alluded to it a little bit, are you going to approach preparation, deck choice, teching any differently for Orlando with so many people than you did for, say, San Diego, which was half the size at only 800-some-odd masters? So I think for pre-tournament prep, I actually don't really think I'm going to change much. Um, it would be different if this was like uh, an IC or something. But as a 1,600-person regional, I think like the the meta share for things is still going to be about the same, just scaled up. So I don't really think I'd actually change any of like the testing or the prep that I would do. The one thing that I would change is I think under no circumstance should you ever ID at X2 at this event. I think that would be a terrible idea to the point where it'd be like, you need to go like 411 to get like top 64 or something like that. So like, it's just, it's not worth it. It's just not. So preparation wise, I don't think there's anything that really changed. The meta still going to be the same stuff. Um, however, you know, in tournament wise, 
don't ID at 6-2. Bad idea. You're speaking to my heart right now because I've tweeted this out multiple times and I get attacked a handful of times. <laughs> but uh, Darren, you have a limitless page. Is a limitless page worth it if it says 190th place, <laughs> in your opinion? I don't think it is, man. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think it is. It's just, I... If it was, I could see it, if I could understand if it was a smaller regional, if it was even, if it was even 1,000 players and you added like a 90-something place to, to your Limitless page, I would even say that's fine. Um, especially if you've never been in day two before, and that's probably like the biggest argument for like IDing at 6-2, um, is people like to have those finishes on record and they like to track their progress and stuff like that. And having a day two experience is better than having none. Um... But if you're, if you really just want to do the best that you can and get points towards a world's invite, and get points in general, playing at six two for this one is not not it. And then also having a like one seventieth or whatever on your thing is probably <laughs> not, <laughs> maybe not be maybe not the best achievement you could have listed on there. This is coming from someone who has a couple limitless online finishes that are like top 256 that I wish I could eradicate. <laughs> I have one of those two where I look at mine and like everything is really good except one of the limitless online ones. And I'm like, bro, like why? I don't need the 90th place. Just get rid of that one so everything's better. Anyway, that's not the point of the conversation. The point of the conversation is should you prep differently for a 1600 person regional than a smaller one. Israel, are you taking preparation, deck choice, and teching any differently than you did for, again, San Diego, where you were at? No, at least for me, it was just like, I'm just keeping the same same energies, still test the same thing. I feel like the set didn't really add a lot to it. So I'm just gonna still have that same mentality of, okay, I just need to do well, go with something I'm comfortable with, and you know, don't go too crazy, but at least have some little surprise factor, which is something I've been kind of living off this whole, here playing with Weezing, Leafeon, and um, yeah, I also agree. No, uh, no idea in that last round, unless it's just like you, you come off of five two one and it's just like on oh, winning in, and that's like the only situation. Um, and then also just for like the, I guess adding that one ninetieth to the limitless. I mean, I don't care. I mean, it's cool. Like I said, I want to have like little like, oh yeah, I got one ninetieth with uh, with Weezing the other day. You know, it's just like it's just it doesn't bother for me, but. Yeah, I'm just keeping the same energy. You know, now that you both said this, and it's on record, that you cannot ID at 6'2". <laughs> mm -hmm. I've got a friend's house that I'm staying at. Worst case scenario, I lose at 6'2". I just go hang out with him for the rest of the weekend. Not that big of a deal for me. <laughs> Luke, what about you? Are you taking preparation any differently for this tournament than you would a smaller one? Uh, it has to be a lot smaller for the prep to be different. Like, let's say, like, like back pre-pandemic, the expanded regionals would sometimes be, like, 500 people. And if you have a 500-person regional, like, 50 to 100 of those people are probably what you'd consider top players. So if such a large percentage are top players and you can kind of uh, estimate and predict what those players are going to play. Like, a great example is Roanoke Regionals 2019. Uh, the BDIF most popular deck was Turbo Dark, um, and so I played Trevenant Break, which scooped to Turbo Dark, because it was a small regional, 
and I expected to play against mostly people countering Turbo Dark. So I hit a lot of Buzzgarb Shrine. I hit a lot of Night March. You know, I hit a lot of Zorark Control, things like that. So I prep differently for like a 500, 400 person event. But once you get past like the 800 mark, I feel like it's all the same kind of. Um, I will say that I'm going to play a deck that is prepared to hit random stuff. Like if my deck... 100 zeros Lugia and Mew, but loses to anything else, then that's probably not a good deck because I could hit Arceus plus X partner in round one, and then I could hit random V star that I forgot existed round two. You know, it's a very large event. There's going to be people of varying with varying goals and varying skill levels. So some people might just be there to have fun and can screw you over because you picked a super meta counter deck that can't beat fun decks. So I'm keeping that in mind. All right. So it sounds like everyone's in a general consensus with that one. So that uh, says a lot, actually, I think, about anyone listening to this. If you're currently deciding on any of your deck choice or techs of you you just play the good deck and you just kind of do the thing, right? That seems to be a good general consensus out of this one. So we recently had Liverpool Regionals, and somehow Mew has won another regional, not in North America, but in EU, because that tends to be where it wins. Do we think it was last regional, Mew won, and it was a very similar Mew list to the one that got second place at the last uh, San Diego regional, right? San Diego? San Diego regional. So do we expect a lot of Mew? Are you adding an extra Drapion? Are you adding a Sky Seal Stone if you already have Drapion? Are you like extra prepared for this? Or was this like, yeah, Mew won, but Mew's not going to see increased play because it's already played a bunch. Like, where's that kind of level of not scared, but like teching for Mew? Are you like extra hard because it won? Or are you kind of like, it was already good. I'm just going to keep where I was at. Uh, Luke, why don't you start us off? We'll go in reverse order for this one. Sure thing. Um, yeah, Mew should probably be like 10-12% of the day one meta. Um, I don't really care that it won Liverpool. The, that doesn't really change things for me. Going into this event, I would I would think it'll be like 10-12% regardless if it won or not. Um, there's equal amount of people who are comfortable on Mew and are going to stay there as there are people who won't switch to Mew because they're afraid of Drapion, Sky Seal, Stone, so I think that'll balance it out. Um, like, you can make the argument, okay, people think that we won't play Mew because of Drapion Sky Seal Stone, so then maybe they cut their Drapions and their Sky Seal Stones, so that makes Mew a better play. But at the end of the day, there will be people playing Mew, there will be people playing Drapion. They're, they will both guaranteed happen. So I think Mew will just settle around the 10 to 12% mark, maybe 15 if it gets like a last minute surge because people are defaulting to it because their cool deck doesn't work out or they heard about a new tech that's ruining their uh, previous choice. But I don't think Mew will be underplayed or overplayed. So... Uh, I'm I'm preparing for Mew. Like I want to have at least a 50-50 against it, but I'm not expecting to hit three Mew in a row on day one or anything like that. Israel, what about you? You got you let's say San Diego, you brought the goo. Are you suddenly like, well, I kind of need the Sky Seal Stone so I can go boss Genesect and take four prizes with the Drapion? Or are you just like, eh, Mew is Mew. It'll be fine. I'm not gonna like extra tech for it compared to what I already did. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I was going to agree with uh, Lucille there. Um, 
but it's also just to, to think about it's only 1600 people so you know it's just like there's gonna be so many and so many different varieties i can't really just like focus on one deck and just like in san diego there was like 33 percent lugia but i faced two of them in day one and faced like lost ray like five times so you know it's just like it's just the deal of the cards and i just honestly i wouldn't add a second drapion but you know axial stone would probably be something i might want to try um and yeah i mean i don't think it's in, like like celia said i don't think it's gonna be overplayed or underplayed but i think it's gonna be a fair amount and it's also kind of like a cheap deck because it has like that theme deck right like that came out like yeah so you know you pick it up like no matter what but yeah i'm not gonna go with the extra step could i add something please uh, mellow okay so uh if your deck doesn't already naturally play Drapion or fit it in well, um, something good for a very large regional like this, where there's going to be like five different decks with like in a seven to twelve percent meta share, you want to look for techs that hit multiple things for collateral. Like, oh, this tech is good against deck number one, but it's also pretty useful against decks number three and four sometimes. Like that's a more valuable tech than this will beat Mew if I see it, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Darren, any other thoughts on the teching for Mew? Are you adding extra text for it? Or are you just like, eh, we'll go with the same, like my deck can already beat it or it's good enough and I'm not extra scared of Mew? Yeah, I'm probably in the same vein as the other two in that it doesn't really change much. Um, Mew's, Mew has, Mew will, pretty much will be and always has been a threat to some extent. Um, it'll always be the top three play share. Um, I think that'll even continue into you know Scarlet and Violet rotation. Um, so there will always be people playing it, probably around 10 to 15 percent, like Celia said, around that area. Um, I think the only people that really need to super tech for it are the decks that like hard lose to it if they don't. Um, so like if you are just going to take like a 30 70 to it, put a Drapion in. Maybe maybe I mean the Sky Skill Stone might be a bit a bit much, but. Um, I think people. I don't think people who like are just teching the Drapion will also tech in the Sky Seal Stone. I think it'll just be one or the other. But decks that have the Sky Seal Stone already in their deck, if they want to really auto win Mew, they might just throw Drapion in just for that nature. Um, like Celia said, I think people are always going to play Mew. People are always going to play Drapion. I don't really think it winning. And I think people have actually kind of realized that as well. So I don't really think the play numbers of it are going to go up or down, regardless of Liverpool happening. Um, especially with the new set, and I think people are going to want to play around with uh, some of the some of the new stuff a little bit, even if it's you know nothing's like meta breaking. That sounds like again we're all in general consensus, which is probably a good sign. When you have three high level players all agreeing on something, it's a good for anyone listening. Uh, maybe, maybe I should kind of go in that direction too. Like Mew's going to be played in large numbers. I think everyone kind of agreed on that. We heard the. 10%, 13% number thrown out. And it's like, you should probably take a solid Mew matchup. Seems to also be the general consensus out of everyone. I'm seeing people nod their head. Yes. Perfect. Uh, next part. I want to talk about Lugia a bit, but Lugia is definitely a deck. Uh, it's definitely going to be the most played deck. If it's not, I'll happily eat my words. I don't see a world where that's going to change until rotation, right? Instead of the kind of like, let's all say Lugia is a good deck and move on. I want to talk about the techs. We're going to assume no one here is playing Lugia. If your opponent flips over a Lugia, would you expect this card to show up? So we're just going to go kind of quick. No real explanation out of anything, but just off the top of your head. Are you ready, prepared for this card? And we're going to 
kind of rapid fire through it, just a yes or a no. Do you expect them to play it? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Manaphy, and we'll go Darren, Sosa, Luke, Darren, Manaphy, yes, no. Yes. Sosa. No. Luke. Yes. Canceling Cologne, something we saw come up in Liverpool. Uh, Darren. I'm going to say yes. Sosa. Yeah. Luke. Yes, just one, though. R- our amazing rare Raikou. Darren. Yeah. Sosa. Nodden has yes. <laughs> Wait. Aud- yeah. Audio platform. <laughs> Luke. Yes. Awesome. Uh, Dunsparce. Darren. Yeah. Sosa. Or Dunsparce. See Manaphy. So yeah. And Luke. Yes. How about a stadium card? Because we've seen a lot of lists going to zero lately. So it could be collapse. It could be path. It could be. Lost City, which is something that I was kind of super hype up on, San Diego. There's there's a big leak since I didn't go. But, Darren, do you expect any stadium card or just, like, vacuum and pumpkin? Usually no. Usually no. Sosa. Saying no. Your phone's not picking up your audio. Oh, uh, I said yeah. Oh. With my luck, they're, they're going to have all three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Luke? I'm assuming no stadium. Okay. Uh, gosh, am I missing anything else out of the like cute text that anyone else can think of? Of like, if your opponent flips over Lugia, you're like, I'm probably going to be prepared for because we were kind of like, yes, probably canceling Cologne, a lot of mana fee, maybe some dumb sparse, maybe Stoutland's some... like a core now, right? That's not even oh, text. Yeah, I didn't even bring yeah, Stoutland up. Yeah, yeah. If you're not playing Stoutland and Lugia, you're scooping to like what a third of the meta practically. <laughs> yeah, uh, V Guard oh. Energy, I guess, is one. Because that's been in and out of lists ever since the first tournament. Oh yeah. So for our Mew players, do you expect people to play V Guard Energy and Lugia? Darren, what do you think? No. Sosa? Yeah. And Luke? No. No. So it sounds like everyone's in kind of agreement too of like we're expecting Lugia lists to continue to get more teched out. Like we're moving away from that Tord Reclev LAIC winning list of Honestly, just one of the most boring lists that you could ever imagine. And now we're suddenly going into like, well, we have a canceling cologne. We have an Irida or a Skyla. I'm going to assume if they have cologne, you should be playing one of those, right? You should probably have AR Raikou. You know, you have all this other stuff. So it sounds like everyone's kind of this. You're going to tech out your Lugia list. Is this the week, again, for our Lugia listeners, is this the week where you just go straight consistency on Lugia? Or is this teching still the correct thing and luke you're shaking your head no so you don't think this is the week you go back to straight consistency and you keep the text in lugia i've thought about this a lot Mm -hmm. and i if you told me before the tournament like hey i've looked into the future you'll hit zero lugia mirrors i would sleeve up lugia but that will not happen so i will not be playing lugia um but I've been playing a lot of ladder and a lot of limitless events. And the other night in a limitless event, I hit this Lugia list that looked <laughs> like it was going to be an absolute pile because it had every tech 
checked down the line. It had Manaphy, Dunsparce, Raikou, Cologne, uh, Vacuum, uh, Stoutland. It, ha it had everything you could fit into it, so I just assumed it would brick. And then it hit in succession every tech against me that it needed on the exact <laughs> turns. Um, and I was like, wow, sometimes Lugia can actually just get everything it needs. But um, So I, I do think that like, like, if you're not playing Dunsparce, all the people that are hype on Raikou v Skyseal Stone, like, what are you doing against them? If you're not playing Manaphy, what are you doing against all, like, like Kyogre and Amazing Rare Raikou? <laughs> like, essentially, I feel like we're in a super format that's, like, it's almost expanded, but not quite, just because of the delayed rotation. And we have these decks that, it, it like, in expanded, I always say, if your deck isn't, doesn't feel unfair then it's probably not good and it almost feels like that here and i feel like you have to over tech because of the large card pull you at this point when we have very optimized lists it's hard for a deck like lugia to not just have all the options because it can play them so i, I really expect the successful lugia lists to be playing a lot of techs because there's going to be a lot of different decks being thrown at it this weekend or next weekend so, so Darren, any other thoughts on Lugia stuff, or are you just like, eh, I'm not touching that deck right now? It's one of the things I'm considering. Um, like Luke said, I really don't want to play Mirror. Uh, <laughs> the idea of that makes me really sad. Um, however, I played a lot with the deck yesterday in some IRL testing, and it is really good. But that's... Um, <laughs> hot take um, right there. <laughs> yeah, shocker take, I know. Um the thing with the consistency cards, it's like when LAIC happened, um, and I even tested this with some of my friends too, is Lugia beat everything by nature of being Lugia. Um, you didn't need the text to do anything. It was a new format, and everyone didn't know the exact like monster that Lugia would become. They knew it was good, but we didn't know specifically how insane it would be. So just playing a, consistently, like a consistency list would easily like just take over the meta. However... People are prepared for you now. It is not LAIC. It's been months and months and months. So um, you can't just beat things by being Lugia anymore. Uh, you need to be doing other things as well. So Lugia needs to have most of these texts in order to uh, survive in an extremely hostile environment for it. Um, so I don't think now is the time for the consistency list. I'm not sure if it ever will be until rotation. Um, I think now is just the time for it to just you know start goofing around with all this other stuff. Yeah, essentially Lugia would have to drop back off the map somehow, which will never happen, and then come back with the consistency list. Like, you know, the Desi Goons uh, <laughs> theory or whatever. Like, it, But that won't happen with Lugia because it's so good and so popular. So, so do you have any other Lugia thoughts? Or I'm not sure if you've ever touched a Lugia card in your life, so maybe none. Never seen one in personal life either. Um <laughs> But no, I'm not going to play Lugia, and I 100% agree. Uh, tech out. If you want to win, tech out. Don't go... For me, like I've always been a strong believer of the techiest decks are going to be the ones that are going to win a regional as opposed to a consistency. It's just been an argument that I had over the last couple of years. Like, I think a consistency deck will get you the day two, but won't win you the tournament, opposed to a teched out deck it can either flop or it can win you the tournament. I think uh, there is something off of that. And since we've got you all here, this wasn't on the, the docket, but this is something that I've run into this conversation before, exactly what Sosa's talking about. Of I've talked to people, either locals or just like other people who are DMing me, whatnot, about like I can get into day two, but I keep, you know, getting a hundredth place or whatever. 
And how do you approach that idea of, okay, I need to have a deck that is ready for day two in addition to getting me there? Like, I know that's a really kind of like abstract question, but do you approach a deck differently versus the, here's my straight consistency. I'm going to go six to one, get into day two, and then get absolutely steamrolled by people who are suddenly playing these new fancy things or people who know the matchup or the rogue deck that someone is suddenly piloting to top 16 and everyone's rooting for. Like, how do you go about something beyond I net deck toward and I got to day two and then I flopped in day two because it's harder. We have someone who has a has a good kind of idea for that one. Or is that like, like maybe too abstract of a question? <laughs> no, no. Um, I definitely build differently. Um, so like I haven't won a regional, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, so maybe Sosa can touch up on this a little because he's won a few in his lifetime. But um, so for like just looking at my limitless page from the post pandemic season, uh, at Indianapolis, I got 112th with MUV Max, right? I played boring deck, boring list. Uh, it was my first regional back post-COVID. I got a mediocre day two placement, right? Um, my next event, a couple weeks later in Secaucus, New Jersey, I played a fever dream of an Arceus deck because I knew I could actually win the event with the list. With the with the Mew VMAX deck I played, there was no shot I was winning the event. It was just consistent and boring. But... Like, I went into New Jersey with this list with a bunch of one-off techs that I, I won matches because of them. Like, because of the Metacham V or the Galarian Zapdos V or the Galarian Zigzagoon that people didn't expect. And um, I felt like I had a really good shot at that event, but then I just bombed day two. But the point is, I built those decks with completely different theories, even though they were a couple weeks apart. Mm-hmm. Darren, I see you also had something to add, and then Soso will be able to get to you as well. But Darren, how what what advice do you have for someone who's like, I'm constantly making day two with this consistent thing and then bombing in day two? How do you go about building a deck differently? So I am that person. Uh, <laughs> I have made day two, I think, around 13 times, and I think I've gotten exactly top 64, about 10 of them. So it's it's kind of a weird spot to be in, and there's two reasons why I feel like that happens: is consistencyless, like like everyone's pretty much mentioned, is consistently consistency list will get most likely get you points, but it won't win you the event in most cases. Um, so and also decks that can be played around or decks that like good players will beat. Like so. Gimmicks. Yeah, yeah. So I put stuff into, like, uh, I played a, a candidate for a couple of these top 64 finishes from Bodzgarb Shrine. And that deck was absolute monster in day one, but it would flop in day two because it was a garb deck that relied on Trashland for a lot of its damage. <laughs> um, and good players are very good at playing around Trashland. So that deck did not really succeed that well into day two for me because of that. Um, and then on the other hand are, like... Um, you know, decks that rely on either surprise factor um, and then, like, consistency stuff. Consistency stuff is like, yeah, you'll beat stuff that's less consistency, consistent than you, which will be all of day one, but then you'll just lose to all the, the you know, the just better lists in day two. So it's another thing that you have to also approach differently, and you have to figure out what your goals are. 
ahead of time. A lot of the time with these top 64s, I'm still happy with it because I was just searching for points specifically. Mm -hmm. So if you are intentionally just searching for points, a consistency list is a great way to go. Um, Like a straightforward Lugia consistency list would be fine if you want to secure some points at this event. Um, However, if you want to top eight the tournament, win the tournament, you've got to be innovating to some extent. I've always said you have to innovate in order to win a regional. Um, that's not always the case. This Mew list is pretty, I think it's pretty normal. Um, but like, if you want to win a big regional, I'm always of the opinion you have to innovate to some extent. Um, whether that's with your metagaming, whether that's with your card selections, there needs to be something different that you're doing in order to beat the meta more than your opponents are. I think to go off the Mew one real quick, I, there is an argument for no one's expecting Mew to do well usually. So it's like people will play Mew, but then it's like, well, it was innovative in the fact that we were all expecting Lugia to do well because yeah, it's limitless, right? And Lost Box. And suddenly it's like, here's a new deck because it's not the deck, right? I think that would that would be my argument for why it's still fits you that You could level. argue it's an innovation, yeah. It's, it's the yeah. same thing as like you could argue playing Night March is an innovation into like a back in the day into a into a field of what you thought would be Noro Corio stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, that like the Mew was like the meta gaming part almost. Like obviously people would play Mew, but if you ask the Stefan Ivanov before the tournament if you make finals what are you playing against? He probably would have told you Lost Ray or Lugia. So like just Darren mentioned like, you know, picking a deck and taking it to the end is kind of innovation so mm-hmm. <laughs> that that people weren't expecting to be there and so so we saved you last on purpose for this one you've won four regionals five. oh five. even better <laughs> you've won yeah. five regionals you are someone who is definitely able to talk about this how do you get past that hump um so i, I while these two were talking i was kind of thinking about it too um i guess it's just two things and it's kind of like one of those little bit cliche, and then one is also something something you they really consider. So the one is mentality. Like you got the day two, you're very excited, but now you have that mindset. It's like okay, now I'm playing people that know what the cards do, and you know that kind of like psychs the people out. So like in San Diego, I had a couple opponents that just kind of made misplaced that made a huge difference into the game where I just take over, and I feel like that's something that some of the new players that never been there already coming in like a little bit nervous because it's just like now i'm not playing like the 85 percent that didn't make it i'm playing the best 15 percent and if i want to get over that hump i have to be able to beat them and then going to the second part is uh card selection it's a huge difference if your card selection is a lot different than like a normal list so for example back in my day in 2000 like 15 16 uh with evil maxis uh when that meta was like very popular with evil tall maxis you will know 95 percent of the deck and that's a huge difference so like for example in st louis regionals um which i got top eight in most of the people knew what the evil tall maxis i was doing popular and they were going off of mark garcia's list which had like the reverse valley an extra gallate and all that and they were very prepared for it but when they played against me my list was completely different and it throws like a huge wrench in their place they don't know what to expect because it's like a six card difference and that's what, like, I feel like it's a huge difference. So opposed to nowadays, if I know you're playing the same 60 that Torta is, it's like you're having an open deck list. I already know the counts. I already, I already know what's going to come next. There's no surprise thing. But if you add a little bit different, for example, 
I'm playing against Lost Stormlax, and then all of a sudden you drop a Dragonite on me. I'm not going to expect that. And then that can make a huge difference. So that's the things that you have to kind of consider is like card selection and just having that little bit of surprise factor. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to add like, you know, crazy stuff that has never been seen before. But like, don't ruin the deck. Don't ruin the deck. Don't add like stuff that's unnecessary. But if you want to, if you know this tech could make a huge difference and it could just like throw a person off guard, then do it. I feel like that little difference can make a huge difference in your run. That was great advice. And I love the last little part at the end, because as you were talking, I'm co-sign everything, right? One day I'll win five regionals, but it is important. Don't just add spice, quote unquote, to add cards. For the sake of it. Yeah. That's yeah. one of my least favorite things. Like, ooh, this tech is spicy. It's like, no, a tech is good or not. And if you're add- adding good cards, I think everyone here already talked about how important that is. So having a different list. Oh, yeah, good cards are very important. Yeah. <laughs> Having a different list that includes cards that are actually going to get you usage as opposed to like, oh, I play, you know, a third boss's orders in my deck. And it's like, well, that is super cool. But like, how often is six Gust Effects and Lugia going to win you those games? I don't know. Something like that, right? That would actually be a bad example. More Gust and Lugia might actually be broken. Anyway, (laughs) we've got to talk about Lost Box a lot so we mentioned lost ray i think does anyone disagree that lost ray is by far going to be the most played lost zone deck okay i'm gonna assume the like not immediately yeah we're all like lost ray is going to be the most played so if you're going to play lost ray be prepped for the mirror match but there are other lost zone decks that exist we've got the goo so so we'll let you talk about goo in a second we have kyogre which seems to be brought by no one except the azul grant caleb danny isaiah team right and then we've got some new cards from crown zenith so we'll get to those as well because those are really only interesting in lost box and probably nothing else but uh sosa can you please convince everyone listening why they should switch to lost gudra at the last minute don't do that i don't want to play mirror Mirror like 800 times but uh if you have to select a lost zone i We'll say Goo is feels like the most safest opposed to Lost Ray because it could just stand up against anything, even if it's like a, even if like they can one shot you. So like for example, Lost Ray, like theoretically, it's a bad matchup, but I beat it five times. Like it's you have to have to know what to put out there and you know how to approach the matchup. Just give it a couple runs before you go into the tournament blind. Um, and against Mew and stuff like that, you can keep up. You it'll be a close game. They might be more favorable, but you could still have a chance to beat them. And that's what I like about Goo. You can keep up with things. You can still beat things. Like even Arceus Duraludon, which I feel like is the worst matchup, you still have a chance. So that's the reason why I like Goo over everything. Is you have a chance. But Lost Ray, I feel is like the best because you can just one shot things, which is always nice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it turns out one-shotting things is very good in the current format of three prizers all over the place. So that is also good advice for anyone who sees Stefan doing well and's like, oh, I'm going to switch to Gudra last minute. It seems like switching to Gudra last minute is not the move, and it might be harder than simply saying rolling iron and pray. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lot of understanding the matchups, when to promote the goo. Um know when to scoop because that's also a, a big fear about the deck is that you go into time a lot and that was something i scratched out a long time ago when i tested goo the first time 
And when I came back to it, like I practiced with time. So if you're going to play Goop, practice with a timer and get used to that 50 minutes because 50 minutes go by real quick with Goop. And something I assume everyone else would have said this too when you get to the more law zone stuff. But when I was prepping for San Diego, I was testing a lot of Kyogre. And the biggest thing is I took, even in my testing sessions, a notepad and properly prize checked every single time because with these law zone decks, Ooh, if you're not writing down your prize cards and actively counting, you're I think you're griefing yourself. I think you are just playing on hard mode for no reason. You should have a notepad with these decks. There's not we saw Caleb Gedimer on stream doing it, and it's not like, oh, but yeah, he's like the best player, so of course he's gonna do that. No. One of the reasons he's the best player is because he's doing that. So that's another like big piece of advice, just in case anyone out there is gonna play any law zone deck. But uh, Crown Zenith, Crown Zenith adds some cool stuff. We've got the Zamazenta, we've got the Sky Seal Stone. That's probably it, unless either of you have something spicy, in which case I'd keep it in your back pocket, I guess, because the rest of the set sucks. But do we expect any cool innovations to be like relevant, solid, or are we expecting more of the same old Ray things like? It's probably just Ray. Kyogre is a very hard deck to pilot, but maybe some Kyogre too. Uh, Darren, are there any like worthwhile innovations for Lost Zone, do you think? Are they going to be played in large numbers? Or is it like first tournament? They're not good enough innovations. We're going to see the same old stuff. I think we're going to see mostly the same old stuff, but it's going to be... Uh, we're going to see some of the, the basic V Pokemon that like Moffat played. Those are going to be big, I think. The Zapdos Raikou. Box. Yeah, Raikou, yeah. Okay. Raikou V, whether it's just a pick... You know, pick two of five choice lists or whatever. <laughs> um, like, you'll just see people uh, include those, plus the Sky Seal Stone as the part of their their decks. I think Lost Box is actually probably the best deck going into the event, just because of Sky Seal Stone. I think that card is insane for the deck. Um, so when you say best deck, oh. you mean like a Lost Box with a couple basic Vs and Sky Seal Stone specifically? Yeah. Okay. I think it's really good. Um just being able to take an extra prize out of nowhere when that deck is already very, very good at mathing out exactly six prizes is extremely powerful for that deck. So that's a deck that I would expect a ton of going into the event. Um, I think Lost Box Rayquaza with like a couple VTEX like Moffat played is probably public enemy number one um, in terms of that. Um, but I think in general, I think the Kyogre build is and probably will continue to be the quote-unquote best build. However, like you said, it's hard to play, and I don't really expect many people to have super like a ton of success with it outside of that like Azul, Azul Caleb Grant core. Um, I've played a bit with it. It is mind-melting, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's powerful if you get it to work. I think the best piece of advice for anyone who wants to bring it is... You need to know how to beat Lugia, who at four prizes goes Marnie, Bench Manaphy, KO with Stoutland to go down to two prizes. Because if you can't beat that with Kyogre, you're going to have a, a bad time. And Lugia players, that's that's what you should be doing, by the way. Not, not any of the other things that we see people doing on ladder and stuff. Luke, do you have kind of the same thought on Lost Box? We're going to see builds with more Vs and Sky Seal Stone. Are we going to see more of the straightforward Ray? Like, where where is this kind of be going? So here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, so. When I refer to Lost Zone Box, we'll leave Gujar out of it. But like the the more boxy versions being Rayquaza, Kyogre, Zamazenta based. Um, 
and you know some Sablezards will be around too, probably Sablezard with Snorlax. Um, out of the new cards, Zamazenta is very solid, but I don't think it's it's not strong enough to replace Ray or Kyogre mm-hmm. because I think Ray and Kyogre both do very broken things. And like I was saying, I consider this to be like quote a super format, and I want my deck to be doing something broken. Just focusing on the Zamazenta is nice. It's consistently doing 220 damage. The uh, ability is helpful against Vika Volt because then Vika Volt does like 20 damage to you. So that's also pretty cool. It's also good against like Cramorants and stuff in the mirror matches. But um, I've played a lot with the new cards with Lost Box and I wanted to be impressed more than I was impressed so far. Um, I think Lost Box Ray will be the most popular, but I also think Lost Box Ray is probably the worst into Lost Box Mirror matches. And I think a lot of people that have been testing it for weeks uh, may shift to Kyogre, even though Kyogre is harder. Um, I would expect Lost Box Ray and Lost Box Kyogre to both be, you know, in the top 16, top 8 echelon of the event. I think they're both very good plays for the event. Um, but working out what you're going to do against the mirror, and then also what you're going to do against Lugia that has every single tech checked off, are the things you need to be doing if you're playing a Lost Box deck. Sosa, other things to add to non Gudra Lost Box? Is Crown Zenith going to change things a lot, or same old Ray? Um. I mean, the Zamazenta is pretty cool. I tried it out. I was trying to fit it in the goo. It just didn't work. But I think it's pretty good. Um, but Celia hit the nail on that one. I don't, I don't see that much of a difference. So as we near the event, it might be a little too late for this advice. But the, uh, oh my gosh, I completely forget who played it. Alberto Conti, the Turbo Lost Zone deck. Quote, unquote, Turbo, right? It got the turn one Mirage Gate almost every game. And the reason I'm bringing this one up is the turn one Mirage Gate's cool. And it makes you assume, oh, I'm going to Mirage Gate to a Raikou. I'm going to lose Mirror because I don't have Cramorant. But you get the turn two Sableye really often. And so... It's worth trying if you have time when you're listening to this. It is not one to pick up at the last minute at all. Don't just grab that deck yeah, and be it's like essentially Kyogre. Yeah. Right. It's there there's a lot it's going on. Kyogre with more turboness to it. Quote. And your tur- your opening sequencing is different. Like Kyogre and Ray, your opening turn sequencing is about the same. And you can be like, well, I concealed cards before I do this. And now you add Pokestop and Vacuum and Forest Seal Stone potentially. And there's like a lot more going on that is very deck specific. But being able to turn to Sableye is uh, pretty, pretty nuts. So just a recommendation if anyone has the time to test. Like I said, don't, don't just randomly pick it up and think it plays the same because it does not quite play the same. I will say that deck, I think it's more powerful with the set. Uh, having the opportunity to potentially turn one Raikou V or Dragonite for three prizes is crazy. <laughs> <As> <laughs> so I haven't tried it yet. It is something that's on my list of things to do. Um, but it, in theory, it sounds nuts, especially when you play four Escape Rub to potentially bring it active. I've not tried it with the Sky Seal Zone. I just straight net decked and ran with it, and it was like, oh, this is actually kind of sick. But uh, you can definitely do it without using the turn one for a Seal Stone, and so that could make the Sky Seal Stone just... This is broken. Like, you literally just win the game if you do that, right? Like, oh my gosh. It's, ugh. 
Such a good deck. I love Lost. I, the fact that Lost Box is so good just makes me smile because that deck is so proper, hard to play, and that's really cool. Anyway, there's a lot more decks, like a lot more decks technically than the ones we've talked about. And even Luke, you mentioned this at the beginning. You're like, I don't want to lose to random. And there is right. viable random. There's Eternatus Weezing, which unless you want to talk about it, we're not going to talk about it. But that's like technically a I mean, viable. I have deck. that. I have that. Like I keep a whiteboard to like mark my thoughts as I go <laughs> with the metagaming process. Cause like my favorite and most enjoyable part of a tournament is metagaming and then see how far how close I was after the event. Um so I have Weezing Eternatus as the ninth deck I'm concerned with. I've I've kind of tiered out the decks in order of which one should I prepare the matchup conceptualizations for for my choice of deck. Weezing Eternus is at the bottom, but it is there. It's something <laughs> that I want to know how to beat if I play against it potentially. It's it's one of those decks that is technically a deck, right? Like Yeah. You, I wouldn't you even call it. it random. Like there are like uh I was watching Grant's stream the other day and he played against two Arceus V Star Coco V Max decks. And like, I don't even think that's a random deck. Like people have that sleeved up. People like play, you know, like it's, it's pretty mid, but it's also, it's kind not even of, mid. It's bad. <laughs> it's also like a lot easier to play than the top decks, you know? So, um, yeah, we, we could definitely see stuff like that. So I never really count anything out. Like I'm never the person to say, Oh, I, can you believe I played against this bad VMAX and I lost? Like, people have all different kind of goals and expectations going into the event. They might just want to play with their favorite Pokemon. And so you got to be ready for everything. Shout out to the time at Vancouver Regionals. I played Arceus Gyarados just to play a Gyarados. <laughs> it does happen, even from someone who is technically an accomplished player. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about a couple of these decks. And this one, we can dive a little less deep because I think these are a little like less than everything else. But Vikavolt is one of the ones. So I guess the question would be, how concerned with you are Vikavolt? Do you think it's like, oh, I'm probably going to see this not just played, but see success would be the question there. It's like, how much will it see play and how much success will it see? Like, was this a top table deck in low numbers or is this just a low number deck, period? And uh Luke, since I think you've been thinking the most about this stuff, why don't you start us off on Vikavolt? Uh, so yeah, Vikavolt's actually right above Weezing Eternus on that whiteboard <laughs> I mentioned. It's number eight. I want to know what I'm doing against it if my opponent flips over a Vika, but it's also not the thing that I'm teching for. I just want to prepare my matchup for it more so. Um... It won San Diego regionals and like nobody talks about it. Like, I think that's just absurd. Like, uh, it's not being played in online events. I'm not hitting it on ladder. It what didn't perform at Liverpool. Like, the deck is good. And I feel like people are just ignoring it because either they don't like playing a deck with low damage output or they don't want to worry about teching against it. Like, so people are ignoring it for multiple reasons, but I think the deck is much better than its meta share. I mm -hmm. will say that the deck is better than its meta share. Um, and I think it might get like 5%. I'd be very shocked if it went over 7% of the meta, but I'd say me, I'd say I'd guess three to 5%, even though it just won the last North American <laughs> regionals, which is kind of crazy. Um, so 
personally, at this point in time, we're recording this exactly a week before the regionals. I am not going out of my way to tech against Vikavolt, but I do want to know what capabilities my deck has against it if I do come up against it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I should have led with that. This is being recorded. It's going to be released on a Tuesday. So a couple days later, because that's our normal release schedule, right? But uh, this is a week before. So there is stuff that could happen, right? The late night tournament technically has a pretty decent influence on the meta. If that's, you know, 300 people, if Azul wins with Vikavolt, a 300 person online tournament suddenly. And then makes a YouTube video about it. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> the, the, things can definitely change, right? The, the the forward thrust that we've seen with metagame acceleration post-COVID is incredible because the metagame used to uh the metagame used to grow like every three weekends when there was a regional championship or an IC. Now the metagame is growing <laughs> by the flipping day. Like uh it, it it can be a little stressful um and there's also just more information and more resource out there so like i feel like pre-pandemic it was a lot of like if you had a solid deck and you were a good player you could probably get points and make day two and stuff but now like almost the entire tournament population has a pretty good deck list mm -hmm. because at worst they can just net deck from play limitless or they can net deck from the most recent regional or from one of the many content creators that are out there so um just in terms of that i kind of went off on a tangent but i do feel like i want to stress having some sort of new tech in your deck or some sort of little surprise factor or even a different way that you play a matchup because otherwise you're just playing like deck simulator versus each other <laughs> like oh i have this 60 card deck that i got from limitless you have this 60 card deck from limitless let's see what happens um i feel like you want to have some sort of personal influence if you're looking to do very well at the event uh so so or darren do either of you have anything to add to vikavolt or can we jump into the next deck Sorry about the tangent. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> I don't understand Vikavolt. Vikavolt is such a weird deck to me because it has a second place and a first place at two consecutive North American <laughs> regionals, and yet no one will touch it with a 10-foot pole. I don't get it. It's 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 gotta be good, right? It's just it's I've I've heard from people who have tested it. I haven't tested it myself. People people are saying it's way more consistent than it actually looks because one thing that I think keeps people away from it is you look at like the deck image generator. The deck looks like an absolute pile. <laughs> yeah, it looks it yeah. looks mm -hmm. like a pile on the image generator, but it's not. It I'm works. Sure. So like it, it can be a pile sometimes. <laughs> it can yeah. be, but like it look it looks so much like a pile. There's so many what of like Pokemon and stuff, but it's good. And it, I don't think it gets the respect that it necessarily deserves. Um, however, just because I think it should get more respect doesn't mean that you should respect it more going into the event. Um, because it will still have low play numbers, and therefore, you don't really need to worry about it that much. Like Celio said, I think you should have a game plan against it, and you should know how to play against it. But is it something you should consider in your central metagame ideas? Probably not. It's something I would test if you were looking for like a, like a good under-the-radar deck to play. But it's not something that you necessarily need to tech for. All three of us end up playing it. Mellow Magic Heart gets canceled for meta manipulation. <laughs> it's on the list. <laughs> I, I will throw you all under the bus happily. Like that's you all get canceled. <laughs> uh, it's like Darren said though, it is a good under the radar play if you pick it up and you mesh with it well and you understand its shortcomings and you're okay with that. 
one of the shortcomings is the next deck I want to talk about, which is Arceus Duraludon. So of all the decks, this is technically one of them. Sosa, yeah. are you expecting a decent number of Arceus Duraludon, and are you expecting to see success out of Arceus Duraludon? Uh, I won't say it would be... I would say it's... Uh, I don't think it will be that much more than Peekable. I think maybe like 8%, 7%, in my opinion. But I think it could have a success. I mean, there's always that one Duraludon player that gets pretty far, but I don't know. It's just, for me, it's just, too, it's just too linear for me, and it's just like... I worry more about getting docked myself than it is like doing good. Uh, but I mean, if you're gonna go into Orlando, I expect at least to face on day one zero to one. I, I would do not. I'll be surprised if face like two or three. Darren, Luke, something to add about Arceus Duraludon, whether it's gonna both see play and see success. It'll see play. I feel like it's almost impossible to predict if it's ever going to do well. It's just, <laughs> it, it'll just randomly pop up and do well at some point. It's it's a matchup-based deck, um, and I feel like its matchups are always kind of polarizing either way, and I feel like they never really get... The metagame never really gets to a point where Arceus or Aladon is, like, the play. Um, someone will just pick up and do well with it. That's always what happens. To be fair, that someone uh, is yeah. always Grant Shen. <laughs> like, every other Arc Duraludon player is... They, they don't have the plot armor, right? Labella did really well with it a couple times, too. That's true, that's true. Mm. <laughs> Luke, where is it on the board? It's gotta uh, be number four, right? <laughs> Unless you split up okay. Lost Box. So, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, if Lost Box isn't split up, Arcdora is number four. If Lost Box is split up, Arcdora is tied for number five with Lost Goo. Um, but, uh... Yeah, Arcdora is in my second tier of, okay, now I want to prepare for this kind of stuff. I do expect to hit a Duraludon variant at least once. Um, and, you know, preparing for Arcdora, like, you can also kind of prepare for Arc plus X as well with some of your techs and some decks. So, and, you know, if, if I don't hit Arcdora, I'll probably hit Arc plus Pile. So, like... I think Arcdor is a smart deck to expect to play against. So, like, practice against it a few times. Um, you know, know what it can do. Know what their hands usually look like. Because, like, a with that deck, it's one of those decks that I say plays out of its hand. Hmm. Like, it doesn't have any onboard support after you pop Starbirth. So, like, if they have a five-card hand, expect that, you know, maybe they have a boss, maybe they have a hyper pot, they probably can't do much else, so play with that in mind. Like, it's one of those decks that once you play against it a few times or play with it a few times, you can kind of understand what they're capable of turn to turn. Um, so it is pretty predictable, and it also has very low player agency, so I typically don't expect top players to be piloting it unless they think it is just the call, which Darren said, uh... It probably isn't the call, <laughs> but uh, which is good because you don't want a deck with zero player agency to just be like unbeatable, right? Um, but yeah, it's a deck that I would consider teching for and would definitely prepare a matchup conceptualization for. I would tech for it because there's no worse feeling in the world than losing to Arceus Duraludon, but uh, I'm not going with that said. The tech testing against it, there is a big thing of. You have to test against someone who knows how to play Arceus Duraludon. There's not much player agency, but the one piece of agency, somehow a lot of people mess up. The deck's goal is to make you go through seven prizes, right? Mm. 
it's not about prize racing the opponent. The reason they play four boss is to pick off your stuff. So by the end of the game, they're able to kind of sweep through it. Now, there are matchups where that's not entirely true, but like the Lugia matchup, stuff like that. That's one of the biggest things is just play against someone who is aware that boss's order is there for a uh, a very important reason in the deck. It's not just to get yeah. the prizes. It's to disrupt the opponent. It's an attack. Yeah, knock off the Archeops, knock off the Radiant Greninja, whatever kind of support's helping you out. And like, um, if they're not forcing you through seven prizes, then you've won anyway. Because Arceus Duraladon is not even a theme deck if they're not forcing you through two Duraladon VMAXs. Next one to talk about, and uh, Darren, you'll lead us off on this one. Reggie's. Do you expect Reggie's to see play, and do you expect Reggie's to see success? Or was San Diego, it's like, that was the Reggie week, and this ain't the Reggie week? It's always Reggie week, baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Reggie's is a tier one deck. Reggie's is really, really good. Reggie's will stay really, really good. Uh, the only problem that came out of Liverpool is I think Guja might be a bit annoying. Um, because your dudes can do, like, 80 to it, and then they'll heal it. <laughs> so, um, although Guja, I don't expect to see, like, a ton of play. I expect to see some play, but nothing insane. Um, I think Regigigas remains a very good play going to the event, because it's still not being, I think, respected as much as it should be. Um, it's, like, worst matchup, in my opinion, is Lugia when it runs Dunsparce, and that's still, like, a 45-55-50-50, like, pretty close matchup. Other than that... Reggie's, I feel like, has favorables just kind of around. Like, even um, Lost Box. Lost Box is very favorable. I even faced one that had two Raikou in it um, and still 2 0'd it. So I feel like it's pretty. It's It just wins the prize race on Lost Box because you have scoop up nets to get rid of cram damage. Um, it beats Lugia just because you. As, as long as you attack on turn two, you pretty much just beat Lugia just by winning the prize race. Um, and then Mew, you win because you have Regigigas that can do 330. Um, and then you also, just in general, you beat a lot of just, like, you 50-50 Vikavolt. Um, you body Duraludon because of Path 330. Um, it's just in a very good spot in the meta, and it does a lot of good things. The one thing that I will say is the Dragonite V in Lost Box can give it a problem. Because, uh, especially if you, this may not be as much of a problem if you play a boss. But if you do not play a boss, they can put it up for their last prize and you have to two-shot it. And they'll make you take a seven-prize game, and that may not be possible and probably will not be possible a lot of the time. Um, so one change that I've made in my testing, Vigavolt's probably... Or not Vigavolt, no. Reggie is probably, like, in my top three decks right now. One change I have been made uh, is going back to using the bad Reggie Drago, at least one <laughs> copy of it. <laughs> so you can one-shot stuff like Dragonite V. Um... The deck has answers for pretty much almost anything, as long as it's not like a random thing like Dark Cry, Dark Box, or something that like you can't smack for weakness. But it's it is in a very good spot. It was in a very good spot. It will continue to be in a very good spot until Aurora Energy rotates out of the format. I mentioned my love of beating Arcdura. The other good thing about the bad Reggie Drago is if they try and do the cute play where they go in with the V, you can go Path plus Bad Reggie and Oko the V. Because, you know, you can't Oko the V otherwise, and then suddenly that whole game plan screwed and uh, it becomes an auto-win again. So, bad, I'm, bad Drago is, uh, it beats Duraludon. That's, that's all that matters. Beat Duraludon for me, please, everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anything to add to Reggie's, Luke, or Sosa? Yeah, I really think it's a good deck. Please bring it. 
I'd be very happy to play against yeah. her. <laughs> Big fan of the un un un. It's solid. Uh, Reggie's is a solid. I, I think it's like a, a tier one deck that doesn't look like a tier one deck almost. Um, uh, if I was playing Reggie, my biggest concern would be do I bring the Ice Q tech or not? Because there's a lot of talk about Lost Box, basic Pokemon. There's, you know, Reggie's does well at, at pretty much every event, all basic Pokemon. Some people can get cute and toss an Ice Q in. We saw Nick Moff at 10th place with the Ice Q wash. Uh, you know, it definitely happens. So you either throw a Yell Horde or a Toughness Cape in there and call it a day, or you pray that your next 15 opponents don't have Ice Q. Nick Moffat has Ice Q washed me in the past two regionals. I just like to put that on record, and I wish he would please cut the penguin for once. <laughs> I would, I would tech for Ice Q. <laughs> if you want to win the event, probably tech for Ice Q because you'll probably hit somebody playing it over the course of all those rounds, right? Speaking of Ice Q, the last deck that I want to mention, unless there's any that I've very blatantly missed is sander gave us the new version of control which i'm gonna be honest i'm a little disappointed our team was like ready with the flying pikachu thornton in the evil tall control and then he did it now it's like oh <laughs> well okay cool but anyway uh do we expect people to pick up now that we have the roadmap right the flying pikachu is not ice cube that thing does not get bodied by Dragonite. In fact, it does the opposite because you know ice cube they just shred the ice cube and then suddenly becomes a little bad stuff like that but uh is this now a real deck that you have to worry about? Or is this like, hey, look, Sander did well with the deck. Now let's go on with our merry way and take six prizes. Or is this a version that like Mewtwo V Union, where like people are just going to pick it up and run with it because it is a cool deck and control is funny. Haha, ha, my opponent can't take prizes. Uh, Luke, why don't you start us off? Evelto control, real deck or did Sander just do something cool? It's definitely a real deck if if the average skill level of pilots across the board went way up like because like any control deck can turn into a pile like that like you know like one wrong move and then you feel like you're just letting your opponent take six prize cards i feel um so typically especially it's such a large event i kind of don't give a crap about control because like if i hit someone like you know, like, who played Mewtwo V Union at a regional recently? Like, Piper Lapine and Finn Lynch, two outstanding players. Like, okay, if I hit one of them, I'm probably not hitting another. And if I do hit another, maybe it's somebody who picked up the deck because they thought it looked cool and it was a control deck and maybe I'll be able to outplay them. So, I'm very iffy on teching for control at a, what is this, 1500 Masters or something? Like... It's not even in the top 10 things I'm concerned about. Maybe not even in the top 15 things I'm concerned about right now. Could it do well? Absolutely. But it's going to take a specific person to do well with it, I think, is the thing about that kind of deck. It, it, the mental fatigue across day one and day two, even just the mental fatigue within rounds, prize checking, you know, thinking about... Because you also have to calculate what answers does my opponent have in their deck. You know, people might practice it online in a limitless event and they can see their opponent's deck list, have it up on second monitor. Okay, if I do this, they can't win. But it's not like that in a real tournament. There's a, a lot that goes into playing a control deck. So I have little faith that players at large will be able to pilot it correctly. So, Sedarin, do you, either of you have anything to add about whether you're worried about control 
or specifically Veltal control, I suppose, for this tournament? Uh, I guess for me, like, Celio, uh, I'm with Celio. If it's a guy named Billy that's never played in a tournament before, I'm going to feel all right. But <laughs> if it's like, if it's like someone that knows what 60 of their cards do, then I'm going to probably be all right. Well, this is going to be a long game. But that's like also what Celia said. It's like the least of my worries. I'll be all right. I'm a little bit more more afraid of Beakable than I am to control, if that's just something to consider. I'm not afraid of Beakable, but I'm just giving you an example. Like, that's how... Yeah. Real deck, yes. Worry about it, no. Pretty much pretty much about Bam. it. Okay, so everyone's in about agreement there of, will you hit it? Maybe, but uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not by also piloted by someone who you can't just outplay. Lugia got 16 energies. Sometimes you just win because of that, right? Um, so I don't get angry DMs. Are there any other decks that I'm missing that you all can think of? I'm not talking about Eternatus, <laughs> but other decks beyond those. Yeah, um, Palkia, Inteleon, Articuno, Ice Q. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it's a deck that I'm not playing, <laughs> but it seems like a good idea, if that makes sense. And if you guys have had a deck like that before in your mind, it seems like a good idea. It, like a lot of things look like they're lining up for it. You know, Lugia cutting the bird keepers, uh, basic decks not having ice Q techs. So you Articuno against Lugia, you ice Q against Lost Box and Reggie, you Drapey on Sealstone or something against Mew. Um, it seems like a solid counter meta deck that solid players could do well with. Sosa, are there any decks I'm missing, or you think we got the ones we care about? Yep. I think so. Cool. Yeah. Darren, are there any other decks we're missing? Not really. I think that's about it. Cool. And then one deck, as uh, Luke mentioned that, if anyone out there wants a tested Frostmoth list, it will lose to itself. But uh, otherwise, it takes good matchups everywhere else because Sky Seal Stone plus Crab is it's very good. 10 out of 10. But uh, you might also go 0-3 drop and not set up a single game. DM me on Twitter. I got you. I'll give you the list. It's pretty It's pretty fun. Don't, don't say that stuff to me. That's what happened last time when I was on this show. <laughs> <laughs> the most fun I had last season was going 5-3-1 at NAIC and then playing Frostmoth Box inside events the next day. I love that deck. It's so much fun. <laughs> I mean, it's fun because you can scoop on turn one because you're like, oh, I just lose anyway, and then go next on the PTCGO ladder. <laughs> Alright, uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Darren, any sponsors, shoutouts? Where can people find you if they want more of you? Uh, I have a Twitter at shred tv three instead of the e um i'm really annoying on it so i don't blame <laughs> you if you don't want to follow me uh, i also go on twitch occasionally uh i have better mic and a mic arm and stuff now i'm preparing for a, like a like an actual stream revival and stuff so expect that soon i do want to issue a slight correction earlier i said that i i day two 13 times and got top 64 about 10 of those times i, I actually looked at my illness page that's not correct uh, I day two 11 times and seven of them have gotten top 64 or worse or worse. So that that's the case there. Yeah. Find me on Twitter. Find me on Twitch. Um, those are the main two places. So, so what about you? Any sponsors or where can the people find you if they want more from you? Me, if you want to follow me on Twitter and like hear my nonsense and trolling people, uh, my 
my uh, Twitter account is 30 underscore Sosep PC. Um, and shout out to uh, a group called IGG. It's a SoCal group that's kind of starting to develop over here that we're going to try to, like, you know, sponsor the SoCal players and, you know, just try to build up the, the community a little bit down here. Luke, what about you? Where can the people find you and any sponsors you want to shout out? Uh, my Twitter is Celio's underscore network. My YouTube is Celio's network. You can hear me talk about my sponsors over there if you watch some <laughs> videos. So, uh, thanks for Mello for having me, though. Of course. Thank you all for joining us. Myself, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mello underscore Magikarp. This has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.